Hello. Hey, Andy. Hey, Matt. This is the last episode in this mini-series around stigma that was all recorded at the Design Conference in Brisbane. And one of the big things that happened this year was there was Streamtime panels on stage. Yeah, look, we I worked with Matt quite closely to try and get some of the issues and some of the topics that are coming out of the speakers and also within the industry out into a panel for more discussion and the chance for people to kind of interrogate some of those topics. We sort of split them across Streamtime and Never Not Creative and, you know, this year with some fantastic panels around, you know, understanding the value of your work and how you charge and could you charge for things differently. We did an amazing panel around diversity in the creative industry and asked some, you know, really big questions around like, you know, where are we at right now? How can things improve? And so the the panels are like a becoming, I think, quite a big part of TDC and it's great to be involved in them and, you know, selfishly gets me back up to Brisbane every year. That was Andy Wright, CEO of Streamtime, good friend and supporter of ADR. If you haven't tried out Streamtime before, make sure you do. You can get a free trial and 20% discount by going to www.streamtime.net slash ADR2020. Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast seeking to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. We acknowledge traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their enduring connections to the land, knowledge and stories. I'm recording this on Gundungara and Dorog country and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. My name is Matt Leach and I'm joined by co-host Myla Yeomans for the last episode in her mini-series on how design can help combat stigma. And we're talking to husband and wife duo Olivia Chen and Sam Wern about the work they do with Studio Chen Chen. This one was organised during this year's design conference in Brisbane and we'd originally planned to record it there, but you know what it's like at a conference. Your best laid plans are thrown out by the third day. New South Wales, where Olivia and Sam are based, then went into lockdown and we're still here. So we got together over the internet to record a great conversation that really covers off the mini-series nicely. We spend a bit of time talking about Chatty, a dating app that prioritises humanity and safety and rejecting the stigma of disability and letting all people find love. This project really sums up Studio Chen Chen nicely, where they really immerse themselves in understanding the client and what their needs are. It's rare that you meet a design team that integrates themselves so completely with their clients. As Olivia says, they effectively become in-house designers. I'm going to drop you into the conversation where Olivia is explaining how they ended up at the design conference after a call from the founder, Matt Haynes. For anyone who's ever had a call from Matt, you know how full of passion and energy he can be. He's very hard to say no to. Anyway, I'll let Olivia explain. The whole story of how we were invited to the design conference was really interesting. One day I was just walking to yoga, do my yoga class, and then I got a phone call, a, a strange number. A lot of time I, I'm always in the back of my mind thinking, maybe that will be a new client. Like, what if it's a, you know, a new business? So most of the time I still end up answering strange numbers on my phone. So when I answered the phone, it was Matt. Matt was just... Um, manically asking me if I will be and I was like wait a minute is it do you want me to be a, a keynote speaker or or a panel I, I wasn't even sure what it was um because of COVID and, and Melbourne was in a in their fifth lockdown so, so Melbourne, all of the Melbourne guests couldn't come um Matt really wanted to have a, a a couple you know like a um 
husband and wife duo dynamic in a in a design business. I, I don't even know how he found me. Maybe on Instagram, but he found Studio Chen Chen and he found the project um, Chatty. So he immediately talked about it and said, "This will fit right into our topic. Will you be? You you can fly over. We'll, we'll pay for the hotel. You know, come over and then." And I was like, "When when is the conference? It's a week away." <laughs> <laughs> how how did that get broken to you, Sam? Like, just hey, we're going to Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> it w- it was the next phone call I call Sam. <laughs> yeah, I got I got like these frantic text messages like I need to talk to you immediately, <laughs> and I was like, "What? He's like, what are you doing next week?" And I'm like, "Nothing." <laughs> um, but it was Matt's energy just got transferred. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good timing because you know this was whatever it was in 2021. I can't remember how many lockdowns we've had but it felt like we'd been at home for a long time at that point. And we had this moment, this window of being able to do things. We'd had a conversation like that week saying, oh, we should say yes to more things. I feel like life's getting a bit boring. Like we're not saying yes to enough things. So then this completely random thing comes on, you know, Olivia's phone call at yoga. So we're like, okay, well, this is a yes. Let's do it. So, yeah, it was our first time in like a huge conference giving us talk together. So obviously we were, it was really nerve wracking, especially when I look at the panel list and I really just my jaw, my jaws just drop. I always know the design conference and I always wanted to go, but it's always in Brisbane, right? So I never really feel like, oh, I can travel there to, to do it. Once we go there, I was really happy that I did because it was a completely different vibe. It's a different energy. Um, I really like uh, math, math, um, ethos and everyone's who is on, on it so it, it just it just feels so good to overcome your our biggest fear which is um public speaking or keynote speaking uh in a big audience like that yeah I'm amazed that you one did it in a week and were like really nervous but I just couldn't yeah I could definitely not tell yeah we were really really nervous in a way I feel like uh that's the that's the thing neither me or Sam were really good public speakers so we feel like we just need to do it and get over our fear. And once we got that, well, once we got on the stage, it feels it feels great. It feels like I was just because I teach every week, right, to my students. So I feel like I was just uh, talking to my students on the stage. Just a few more, students, <laughs> a few more. Yeah, you guys founded Studio Chen Chen in 2018 after you'd both travelled and worked all over the world. And I'm wondering, I suppose, how you made that decision to work together. Yeah, so when I was freelancing, I, I always have been freelancing on the side, but it, it has always just been myself, you know, writing copy. I mean, English being my second language, a lot of the time I will have copy ideas and I will bounce back and forth with my clients who are usually um, the English speakers, and then they will fix my English on the way. So it's a really organic way to work with the clients. It was not professional at all. So it has always been like that until one day I just like, you know, I have to do it right, uh, especially if I'm going to make this more of a main job rather than a side job. I started to hire copywriter. I mean, a lot of times Sam will help me fix my English in the, in the client's email or in, um, in my presentation, but we started to go back and forth with some ideas. But a lot of time I feel like, oh, when I'm doing this alone, it's a bit hard. Like I would do it, if I have a great idea, I have a great idea, it's great. But then sometimes you just don't have enough creative juice or you don't have enough inspiration. So sometimes I would talk to Sam about the projects. And you know, when you date a designer, your life is just going to be bombardic with design reference or, this, or, or client issues. Uh, 
So Sam is always, even though he wasn't officially in the in the project, but he always know all the dramas, all the all the everything about the project. So when I was talking to him about the project, and he would offer some ideas, and then and I would just always like, what? How did you come up with this idea? It's amazing. And then I was just presenting to the clients, and clients really liked it. So then I was like, this is a great dynamic, and and I should ask Sam for help more. Always asking him, do you have any ideas? And a, a lot of times they are not good because you know <laughs> now it's really good. But at first, when you are not used to present your idea in a creative way, it, it's or, or, or you don't know about brief or like um, brain strategies. It's sometimes a lot of ideas come up with, oh yeah, I mean my mom can come up with the idea. <laughs> I wasn't impressed sometimes, but because this outsider perspective from someone who didn't go through the design training. A lot of time, it's more like, wow, I didn't. It's another angle that I didn't think of. So I started to involve them more and more, and then eventually, when I quit my day job and decided to do studio chinchin full time, um, I was on my own for a little bit as for a while as well. But then eventually, I was like, no, this is. I just, I just need Sam. I, I need Sam to be on on the board. I need Sam to be fifty percent of the brand, you know, in in studio chinchin. A little bit less than fifty percent, right? In the beginning, same. In, <laughs> well, but in the beginning, you you uh, in the brand strategy and the copywriting, that part is a lot, a lot of same. What were you doing at the time, Sam? Oh, you know, it's one of those things where it's my my background is. You know, I've worked with businesses on environmental and social sustainability issues for a long time, for like I don't know, thirteen, fifteen years, and I've worked with a lot of different types of clients on different types of problems. I think when you start, they're often quite technical and really about projects. And then the, as my career kind of progressed, I was more and more working with right in the heart. So, you know, with corporate executives and the board about purpose, this story of purpose became really big in corporate corporates all around and strategy. So it became a conversation about business strategy. Who are you? What do you do? And how do you communicate this with stakeholders? And so getting a really practiced in explaining why social and environmental issues are relevant to a business, you know, helping deliver the pitch as to what they should focus on and why and kind of what's the commercial relevance of that. I got really used to that. And I guess, you know, meeting Olivia and learning a lot more about her work, I was like, you're not just doing graphic design and you're not just doing brand, you're starting to do business strategy. And a lot of the things that I do are actually quite similar. And so I guess that was kind of my lesson. I was like, oh, well, I, there are transferable skills. And so there was ways that I could see and say, actually, I could help you with some things that might, you know, give something different that you don't do and that complements you. And I wonder, like, have you in that time seen much of a shift in kind of if you're going in and you're helping companies develop their, their sort of strategy around those social or environmental issues? Have you seen the way that people approach it or want to approach it or even just in your personal opinion, how you feel that's best? Is, has that shifted? Definitely. And I think there's a whole range of things that come to that. So like the opportunity has become really commercial because you've got like a whole market, a whole demographic of people that put their money where their mouth is and they want to buy from brands. Like brand has become this really valuable asset. And so they want to buy from brands that appeal to them and their values and who they are and who they want to be. And they'll punish you if you do greenwashing and if you don't live up to that. But climate change, the impact of poor performance has become really relevant as well. So every company in Australia um, 
when they get to a certain scale will be thinking about climate risk and what that means to them and et cetera, et cetera. So that's really big companies, but small businesses realize this too. And I think that's the space that um, Studio Chen Chen does more work in. And But the types of people who want to start small businesses and what that means for them changes as well. A lot of the businesses that come to us are doing the same kind of things that big businesses are talking about, but they're doing it in a lot more authentic way sometimes because they're like, I'm doing this from the ground up. I was never a big soulless corporate. I've always just been this local business that wants to do things well. Yeah, they're not trying to post-rationalize it. Yeah, in a way, I feel like it's much easier for a bit a small business to to do things right because it's a more it's a smaller team. They don't have many decision makers. Usually, just one or two decision makers. Looking at your website earlier, and I, there's a line on it that I really really loved, which was igniting conversations through thoughtful design, and just everything you're saying there feels like you're very you get very close to the clients. Would that be fair? Yes, I I become their in-house designer or in-house creative director for like maybe five months, three months to five months in, in a brand um, creation phase and, and the launch. So it's really, really intimate relationship in, in, in that sense. That's interesting because you were also sort of on your website, you're talking about empathy and that being sort of really foundational in your approach. And that's definitely something that's come up in the other kind of interviews that we've had as being quite an important trait but sort of in design generally particularly when you're addressing topics that carry some sort of stigma around them yeah empathy is one of those words I I have a trouble with it sometimes because um, sometimes I feel like it's used in a way that makes us think that we can understand someone else's perspective you know so it's like I can see the world through your eyes if I just try hard enough that's obviously really good and you need to start with that, but you need to go further and also know that sometimes it's about listening and knowing I will never see the world the way that you do. What I need to do is we need to listen. So yeah, empathy is, is, is obviously like really, really important, but part of that is also knowing that it's about diverse people bringing diverse perspectives. I think a lot of time when it comes to design and a lot of designers, and I, I see this in design school a lot, is... Um, they, they start to get into their zone. They get into their world of, okay, I want to make this amazing. I want to make these 3Ds, really, really abstract types and, and all that. But a lot of time, I feel like design is definitely more of a common sense approach. You know, if you are the business owner, how will you um, run your business? If you are the business owner, how will you want your brand to be perceived? In terms of empathy and brand strategy, it, at first, we really listen to our clients. We, we spend probably more time than... Um, other company just because from my experience of working in uh, bigger agencies we always have a set amount of time to do brand strategy and the workshop and once we did that that's done right and if you want to go back to change it the company director will ask you not to because it's um you know it, it defeat the budget uh it, the money so then a lot of time maybe that's not a really smart business um uh, practice but I just couldn't do it any other way is we we keep this conversation going with our clients not just the not just in the, the initial brain strategy meeting when you are forced to talk about all of the problem within three hours or two hours in one meeting it's just really hard and and a lot of times problems only comes later so I, I just feel like when when we work with the clients all the discovery phase is every day 
because our clients is really small and small business have its advantage. One of them is they are closer to their target audience. They're either friends with with some of their friends, they are the target audience, or they are the target audience themselves. So a lot of time um, that close relationship with who you're designing to is um, is amazing. And you really learn a lot more, getting to know them more, you know. I always go back to this guy, Bob Gale. It's like one of my design heroes. One time I went to his talk and he was saying, if you if you want to design for a laundromat, his approach will be, he will not do any research online. What he would do is he would just stay, sit in the laundromat for the whole day. Just do nothing, just sit there and watch and, and, and observe people. And I just thought, this is great. You don't do that enough anymore. I feel like we, we lose this sense of um, touch, I guess, when we go get into the, the design world, working world. When we were students, we, we were always taught to do this, to observe more. But when we get into the, the working environment, a lot of time it becomes it becomes a business. And a, a part of the reason Studio Chen Chen is important to me is because to me, it's not just a business. To me, doing cool design, doing good design and becomes friends with my clients in a business sense. You know, like doing good stuff with them is, is more important to me. I've got so many questions. Does that make it harder to charge the client because you've built up this relationship and because it's kind of evolving and you don't probably even know what it's really going to end up until it's kind of there does that make it hard to kind of like put a, a number amount on it well if you talk about money first then you won't you wouldn't be so hard like um right especially um during the proposal process you don't even know the clients yet it's not that um your, your relationship is not that deep yet so but you need to build a trust like you need to you need to like kind of impress them a little bit for them to want to pay you. But then it, we always talk about money really quickly. And then um, like some of our clients are reoccurring clients. They'll, they'll come back to us. And that money issue become less awkward because they already know um, this is just how much how much we charge. Of course, sometimes there might be some um, clash like, oh, we, we never get people charging us this way. Or like, oh, we always get more than one concept. Um, because situation should only propose one one concept, by the way. We don't do many uh, options. So then people will like, I don't get what I'm only getting one concept, and then we'll explain to them. If they, if it makes sense to them, then they'll be like, great. If they say, no, I just need to have more than one concept. And you know there is some mistrust there. If they want options, a lot of time I feel like it's come from um, distrust. But that's fine. I feel like if we were still very flexible, so we'll just say, okay, then maybe we charge more for two concepts, but never more than that. <laughs> it's such a it's such a crazy thing, isn't it? Like, cause I remember, you know, leaving college and it was always the three concepts. You know, the one that you really liked, the one you didn't really like, but you're putting in just to make up three. Yeah, I I feel like the way I tell my clients is, you're hiring us to make decision for you, right? You, decision. People don't like making decision most of the time in their life. If you're hiring us, you already make a big decision of of cho- choosing the right agency to work with. Then, um, then just you know, let let us do the hard work for you. Yeah, and I think because you guys get so close as well, it's like it should be barely organic. It's not like you're doing the big ta-da at the end. It's like here's our concept. It's like the the client's been with you the whole way. Yeah. yeah. I had another question about the relationship as well. So, you know, you work very closely with the client. Do you have a time at night where you go, no more work talk? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it depends which client. 
some some clients I'm re- really strict about it because uh, you just know you, a lot of time it's like personality studies. You, you kind of know what kind of person they are. WhatsApp is the worst invention in the world, being that you're never, especially there's no time zone. You just kind of constantly talking to each other. So um, I think he means between us, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know, like trying to decode the psychology of clients and like those conversations never end. You know, like they never end until the problem's solved. <laughs> Yeah, I think some clients have more intense personality and they are the clients who is the most passionate about their projects, right? And and again, small business, this is not a corporation. So everything is very personal to them. It's their personal, it's their own money, it's their own baby. So a lot of time I do appreciate that because there's more passion, there's more soul in, in the project. I was just going to say, I think the other thing that um, works for the, our dynamic with clients and, you know, the pricing and all of that stuff is Olivia's had a lot of experience before before she got into Studio Chen Chen and she's really collected all of the wisdom and all of the good things from all the different studios that she's engaged with so that the process is really good and that includes the way that you discuss the price and you avoid a lot of conversations later because you've done you've got a good process. And that was sort of something like with chatty kind of strategy and identity that you guys presented at the design conference. That really stood out. It was made in collaboration really with the client and with their users um, and even just sort of down to the features that you included in there, like the trusted friend and all that sort of thing. It really did highlight that. I also really like the story behind like how you guys came to work together. It's really interesting, but um, we met the founder of Chatty, um, Abby, through a photo shoot that I was working on for another client, which is called Every Human, the fashion platform for people living with disabilities. That's one of the reasons I love being a designer is you always learn new things through the project. I haven't even heard of adaptive clothing before this client. And so we, we did a photo shoot and the clients was adamant that they wanted real people photo shoot. We'll have like one or two models there just to make the whole shoot more natural. We actually invited, um, I think, three or four real life people to just be our um, models. And Abby's son, his name is Josh. Abby's son is one of our models. So during the photo shoot, we just start chatting with each other. After the project is wrapped, um, I get an email from Abby asking me if I will be their designer just because she really likes the way I design every human, but also she she is more impressed with the way um, how everyone was treated in the photo shoot, you know. Yeah, being nice is definitely good. Yeah, it pays. <laughs> it pays, yes. So, yeah, that's how we know Chatty and the clients. I think, I think Chatty is a good example there of, like, what we were talking about before. Like, we can empathize with Chatty's business situation and make and make sure we get the scope right and that's something we can do but we can't we can't do very well at empathizing with what it's like to be living with a disability because we it's not part of our life we we really had very little idea to be honest so we really had to listen listen and ask questions and to make sure that the design was doing a good thing for them um, and the brand strategy was on point and the copy was, you know, appropriate and all that stuff. Yeah, the copy is probably the one we spend the most time on because we don't even understand the way, you know, we talk, especially for for a, a platform that's specific for people living with disabilities. We definitely need to, the client's input to 
avoid some words or um, to talk about what things that's not patronizing them. And I think that also just like a lot of, I don't know, the features that were built into it really showed sort of, I guess, how how dating apps only really cater for such a narrow group of people. Um, and like, yeah, that, that trusted friend one really stood out to me. Like I, I was thinking, oh, I want that in all dating apps. That's amazing. Um, is that something that you guys kind of came up with in collaboration or did the client have that? I think it came up, you know, we were talking about brand values and, you know, what the concept was. And part of the premise was that this is a safe space for people living with disabilities. You know, I just, I had to ask the question. I was like, but is it? Is it a safe space? If we get a whole heap of people who might be vulnerable to predators and creeps and put them in one app, how are we making it safer? And I guess I was just like, you know, a little internal panic moment. We just asked the question and we, we thought about it more like, well, is this something that could work? You know, taking this real life, not digital solution, which is trusted family and friends who help people who are living with disabilities in these type of ways and say, well, is that a solution that we could make digital? And I'm so glad to hear that you liked it because I thought the same thing. I was like, actually, I think this is something for all people. The worst things about the internet is the toxic nature <laughs> that it brings out when people can be anonymous and nasty and think that no one can see it. And I think this is a solution that comes from um, limitation uh, because Chatty is a very small company. We don't have the budget. We don't have the resource to develop some sort of you know, artificial intelligence to screen out every harmful message. And I don't think any dating app is doing that anyway, right? There's no AI going to your inbox and deleting harmful message. So in a way, we know we have a problem to solve. We have limited budget. So how do we solve it? That's, a way, that's, a cre- that's when creativity comes in. You have to think in a more creative way. But a lot of times, just go back to, you know, human. It's the best way to solve problems and the cheapest way to solve problems. So, um, so we started chatting, okay, if I am having people harassing me on, on my inbox, what do I, who do I turn to? What do I usually do? Do I go to the police immediately? Do I report them on Facebook immediately? A lot of time we just share it to our friends and say, oh my God, look at this. This is so creepy. And you get a comfort. A lot of times it's like also your family can help you go through, you know, like even deleting a message for you physically. So that's just part of the inspiration from us. It's this human, again, going back to human connection. This is the app where we want to bring people closer, not to deal with people digitally. We want to kind of um, bring back the human connections. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of, you know, going on a blind date or going to meet someone for the first time and you don't know if you trust them because you don't know them at all. So you invite them to a dinner with your friend, <laughs> you know, like you meet them in a, with a, with some people that you do trust and then afterwards you say, are they all right? What do you think? Yeah, it's a very real life solution. Very real life solution. Yeah. And how do you like back to sort of that idea of the common sense being such a important part of it and kind of process I'm wondering how do you teach that side of things to your students yeah I teach um uh, random things at UTS sustainability innovation and <laughs> you taught business ethics I did I, t- I taught ethics and sustainability in finance uh last year yeah because we do a lot of class online now so a lot of time I can overhear while they're learning as well interesting you guys are learning this <laughs> Yeah, but common sense, teaching students common sense. Um, 
I think my students have less of that problem because um, the demography of my students is um, or students who choose to go to Shillington, they are very different from um, uni students, right? People who graduate from high school and go to uni, they don't have much life experience. The reason they go to uni is to increase their life life experience. So my students, they already went through all that. Um, a lot of them have been working even longer than me. They are a lot of them are older than me. In a sense, I'm learning a lot more with this common sense approach through them. But a lot of time I feel like it's when, when you feel like you turn your creative brains on, we just become a little bit out of touch. And and a lot of times you just need someone to kind of bring you down a little bit. And I just need to talk to my students. How do you imagine applying this? And how do you imagine this you know, being perceived? Asking questions like this to them, they will just immediately realize, okay, this is not going to work. Just because I feel like when you are set in these creative environments, you just immediately become a bit out of touch. But it's quite easy to then go back to your everyday life. One thing that's come up in this mini-series, which is all about combating stigma through design, is, I guess, this importance of storytelling. Do you agree with that? Is that something that, that you feel that you need to have, I guess, maybe more storytelling in order to kind of combat the stigma that, that's being brought up? Stories are what engage people. Stories is what wins people's hearts and gets them interested in things. I guess my only view is... And it kind of gets to that tag that you mentioned before, Matt. And I think something that Olivia kind of does naturally and what I'm interested in too, which is why we're partners as well as, you know, business partners, um, is that we need more stories. There's a real value in getting more voices heard and seeing more diversity. That is really valuable. But it's also really valuable to hear different stories. So it's not just more voices telling the same story. And it's not just like a process of trying to get people feeling that they need to follow the same aesthetics and story structures and kind of be put on the clothes and be the same people that they saw. It's like we want to hear your story and we want to hear why you're different and why you're special and why you're awesome. And so I think that's that's kind of the thing that, that I want to see more of. And and I think these kind of things come up naturally in your upbringing and in um, in your cultural background. So it's not less about how we tell the story, how design can fight stigma. A lot of time it's more, to me personally, I think it's more about how we can get more designers from different backgrounds. How can we make um, design industry uh, less intimidating and, and more friendly to people from different backgrounds? Then naturally the whole stories we tell and naturally the whole design industry will be less stigma and more people from different point of view. Yeah, I think that's the only natural solution to this problem. Um, change the way we run design industry, change the way we run uh, design education. So it's not so hard to get into this industry. And I think the education thing is a really good one as well, because, you know, they talk about this kind of idea, I guess, of if you can see it, you can be it. We need to get more of those faces out there. Yeah, so. I feel like there's a shift, you know, and there's a great appetite in the world at the moment to see something different. People don't want to see the same kind of colonization, globalization, all this stuff. We want to see something different. Mm. I suppose my interest in the question kind of comes from, I feel like in a lot of ways, design, and I'm more thinking advertising and kind of just visual communication, like what you see around you. 
um, has played such a big role in making it a really difficult industry for people to break into and and also just perpetuating like stereotypes and stigma. I feel like in that sense, it surely has some kind of role in amending that as well. Yeah. And also it's an economical question too. Like design school is very expensive and, um, and design education, especially all the equipment a students have to get just to start designing. It's it's a determining factor of why people wouldn't do design or choosing that as their first career choice or, you know, university choice. And it's precarious as well. Like you know that you're not necessarily going to graduate and walk into a job. And it's definitely changing uh, the way, you know, like I feel like the industry is changing for the better directions. You know, it used to be like uh, internship is always unpaid. Um, when I was uh, 10 years ago graduating from um, from a uni in New York, all the internship was unpaid. You even have to pay credits. So I'm paying to to work for free. I know it's a training program, but still, like, that just kind of becomes a barrier. Like, not everyone can do internship because they had to get a part-time job. So, you know, they had to pay for their apartment. So um, that's a lot of the issues just accumulate into the bigger, a huge barrier for people who don't have money, who don't have um, the, the, the family support to just, go and start a design. I was sort of wondering whether you treat projects kind of that are more socially oriented differently to how you treat projects that are not and perhaps more kind of of a straight marketing focus like is there something that you do specifically different there or or not so much? Well I'm really happy to say that we are at the point that I could choose the project a bit more. One criteria I'm looking for in the clients a lot is do they want to do things differently? Um, I never say no to any clients as long as they want to do even just the slightest things different. But I know if this is a culture or a demography I'm not familiar with, I would definitely want to ask more of the input of the people who are from that community. Um, again, going back to Sam's, um, what we said before is um, just listening and yeah, I feel like that every brand have its angle and um, we just need to find their things that make you very, very different. And a lot of time I find out a lot of my clients, they have lots of disadvantage because they're small or they're just starting up. Um, but a lot of time I feel like that your difference and your um, disadvantage is a great way to promote you and to um, brand you to be different, to be unique. So a lot of time that makes us, our job easier when they have this um, alternative or different angle in, in, in the, the way they do business because they, it just makes the storytelling easier. It was such a great chat with Olivia and Sam. If you haven't seen the chatty work, please go and have a look at how they tackled a very complex project. You can find a good case study on their website, studiochenchen.com. We also didn't get into much about Olivia's backstory, and that was partly by design because there's an excellent interview with her and Sarah Bracken from The Design Kids, where Olivia gives a detailed explanation about how she came to open the studio. It's well worth a watch if you want to understand more. And that's the end of this mini-series on how design can help combat stigma. Myla has already started working on her next mini-series, so I'm sure you'll hear more from her soon. If you like this series, reach out to her and let her know. She would be chuffed. Next up, we're delving back into the past again for one of our reissue episodes. This time, I'm talking to Jason Little from For The People about his episode, which was the fifth episode that we ever released. 
I'm trying to rope in Joe Rocker as well. She's a regular on ADR, and she's been mentioned by Jason many times in this episode, so it seemed only fair that she should be a part of it. Until then, stay safe. Australian Design Radio is produced by me, Matt Leach, with digital management and stress testing by Braden Towns. Editing by Madeline G. Keith.